one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. Talking Space. This is show number 430, recorded on September 26, 2012. Please excuse the rough start on the recording here in just a minute, and also some of the sound quality issues, but the internet being what it is, you take what you can get, and I know you'll enjoy this. So here we go. I'm joined by Gene McCulka. The topic we've got for tonight is something that's only going to interest you if you meet one of the following criteria. So follow along with me and ask yourself, am I interested in science? Do I know someone young, old, or anywhere in between that's interested in science? Might I perhaps sometime in the days, weeks, or years to come meet somebody that's interested in science? Well, if you're still with me, if you can follow along and answer yes to one of those, it tells me you're as curious as I am about our guest. Our guest tonight is Carl Carruthers from Houston, Texas. Carl wrote a story titled, How Can I Get My Science Project on the International Space Station? It's on his personal website and also on the Houston Chronicle, cron.com website. And this is what we wanted to learn more about. Carl, welcome to Talking Space. Thank you. A program called a gas can program. It was called the Getaway Special. And it was a program that NASA had started, um, I guess, right around the same time that the shuttle started flying. And it was a, it was a can. And it was a two and a half cubic feet or five cubic feet can and you could put in this can whatever you wanted regarding certain safety regulations of course and um, they would fly it in the payload bay of the space shuttle and instead of usually instead of ballast if they had room where something else didn't fly they would bolt this thing onto the side of the payload bay and and away would your project would go on whatever mission uh, was flying and so we were initially building as an undergrad I I got involved with a group that was uh, uh, in a, I went to a community college and I got involved with a professor there named uh, Rolando Branley and they were working on uh, one of these gas cans and it was a very ambitious project. It was a five cubic foot can and it had everything from uh, hyperspectral imager to crystal growth to, uh, to, to uh, ham little ham radio set to everything they could fit in this can. <laughs> and um, we got a call one day literally from, from NASA and said, hey, how could you be ready for STS-91? And that was like six, seven months from where we were, um, and fly a two and a half cubic feet, uh, two and a half cubic foot can. And we absolutely, you know, we said sure. And so we took our most passive experiment, and that was uh, called Gradex, and it was called Genotoxicology Radiation and Dosimetry Experiment, <laughs> uh, which was fun coming up with that name. Um, and essentially all it was was um, some in vitro and in vivo DNA, and in vitro means that it's in solution, and in vivo means it's it's in living things, such as in seeds. We had all sorts of different seeds that had DNA in it, and we were going to test how um, the exposure of this DNA to uh, the cosmic rays in space uh, would affect the DNA. And once we got our samples back, we would run the DNA from the in vivo and in vitro DNA samples on a gel, and we would see how you know how broken up the DNA would be. Um, and it was a very passive experiment. And that was my first experience. That was STS-91. I was on Discovery, and I think it was 1998, June of 1998. Um, but the biggest, the coolest thing that I got to see through this process is I got to learn about the, the legendary 12 inches of paperwork that's required to put something on the space shuttle. Um, and I also got to interact, and I think this was most important, with the people at NASA, at Kennedy Space Center, uh, and Goddard Space Flight Center at the time. Um, and I realized that they were just, 
just normal people. <laughs> they weren't these super geniuses. They weren't um, out of the ordinary people. They had an out of, out of the ordinary jobs, but they were just normal people. And I, I was at a kind of a turning point in my life where I was, you know, bumping around in community college and didn't really have a clue what I wanted to do. And I'd always had an interest in science. And um, this re- literally turned me around. Um, and it was that experience to going through this, what was called the gas cam project and, and flying something on shuttle and seeing that I could do the science and, and getting my hands on um, something that actually flew into space. We were there for the integration. We were there for the deintegration, the launch, the landing. We got to see the entire process. And uh, I've always been a space kid. <laughs> um, and this just lit the fire even more. Um, and it really inspired me. And the thing they have now, now to get something in now up on station is um, a, a, a group called Cases. And it's the, um, they just were elected, not elected, but um, I forget what the process is called, but they were uh, an appointed to be in charge of the um, civil, I guess you could say civil side of science on the space station. And um, they, they're called, it's the Center for the uh, Advancement of Science in Space, CASES. Um, and they now have opportunities that are very, very similar to this this process of the gas can process, project, where you can solic- solicit process, uh, um, proposals to them and they will go over them and decide, you know, what what is this beneficial for for uh, is this have any commercial value, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the process is is much more streamlined now. They have what's called implementation partners, where you can work with other groups that actually do uh, the most of the twelve inches of paperwork, um, and they fly you up they bring your stuff back if you need it and it's 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 uh, easier literally easier than ever to get something on the space station so if you were interested in getting something in up on station now um, I would highly recommend contact contacting someone at cases there's there's a lot of information on their website um, just Google cases and you'll you'll get a lot of information um, as far as schools go, there's another program called the Student Space Flight Experiment Program. I think it's run by Jeff Goldstein. Um, they're another group that uh, involves a large amount of students. Um, uh, the flying stuff uh, used to be on, on 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 shuttle, but they're also involved now in, in flying stuff um, on station. And they they use a company called Nanorax to to ferry their uh, stuff up there up to the station and I would highly recommend contacting them them if you're if you're a if you're a, stu- a student at a school or you're a uh, a teacher um, those those are the two first routes I would go through I would try I would try uh, cases or or SSCP that's that would be my recommendation I'm curious a couple months ago you went to a conference in Colorado I believe and it was the uh their first International Space Station Research and Development Conference. And a couple of days of it were, from what I see in your blog, were involved with actual experiments as to bringing people up to date on what was happening. But I see a lot of acronyms and names of programs that I'm really not familiar with, and they, they seem intimidating. And you mentioned the the shortcut in, in how to, to make this possible for for somebody first time with cases and other programs but here I, I see small business innovation research program SBIR mm-hmm. and uh, let's see what's another one Inspires and SPIRES NASA solicitation and proposal integrated review uh-huh. and evaluation system and it, would, uh, it wouldn't be NASA without acronyms right yeah <laughs> yeah um, so that the the Inspires route is the route is that is essentially you doing research um, for NASA, um, and that is that is directly through NASA uh, research program. Um, it's a much more involved process. Uh, it's it's a and it's a much harder grant to uh, grants to get. Uh, it's it's a large sum of money, uh, but it's it's a it's it's a good. Proposal: If you have, if you are say you've been doing science for a while and you have um, 
you know, you're a scientist and you've been and you've happened to do some things that that NASA is interested in, such as bone loss or um, some materials processing, something that has to do with materials or um, some some of those things. And they have solicitations on their websites um, that comes up at uh, I, I, random times. It seems to me, uh, if you actually go to the Inspires website and click on solicitations, uh, there'll be a list of, of things that are due usually within the next 30 days or so, um, and they deal with anything from the modeling, atmosphere composition to uh, Earth space technologies to uh, what am I? I'm looking at some mission, planetary mission data analysis. I mean, there's just a there's a large uh, array of, of things of, of, of proposals that they're interested in. Um, so that is that is directly through through NASA. If if you were th- th- that route to go through um, something to get something on space station, um, the SBIR is a small business grants that they that that's. I don't think it's even just through NASA, but there's a, it's a, actually through the government. And it's um, say you're a small company and you make um, some product that that NASA could use. Um, they would like to very much talk to you as far as you know, what uh, you know it, 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 about getting their your um, your their product which they could use. It's 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 I really don't know that much about SBIR to be honest with you. Um, but I, if you go to those websites that are actually on the on the, the article, they they should link directly to the the programs themselves. Yeah, that was something I was really impressed with. In reading this, I saw all the links that you put in. I mean, you referred to the couple that we're just talking about in cases, and you've got links to all of them. So, I mean, just, you know, a a few minutes of reading with the links that you've added will expand into more and more material for people that really want to dig into it and get a grasp because uh, it. I'm, I'm so impressed that, that you started and you said in college was just almost by chance how how close was the likelihood that you may have never heard about that opportunity oh very oh very close yeah it was just i just happened to be involved uh with a very good science teacher at the time and he um yeah it was that whole process of meeting him and then doing that project got me involved with with what i'm doing now and if, if i would have never met him uh, uh uh, Professor Brandley, I would have never done any of this. <laughs> it's all because something? of him. Yeah, and it's it's actually shortly after uh, I met him, I found uh, what we used to be called the Reduced Gravity Student Flight Opportunities Program, and I think it's now called Microgravity University or something. And um, that was where you would submit a proposal to NASA to fly on their KC-135 program, and they would fly you. If you got selected, um, your proposal got selected, they would fly you on the KC-135. So I, I, I brought this up to him and said, hey, this would be a great opportunity. You know, um, I would really love to get involved with this or make something and do something. And he, he just kind of went, yeah, that would, be, that would be a great idea. And um, I don't think he believed that I would really do it. <laughs> so I eventually put together a, a, a little project that dealt with uh, separating immiscible fluids like oil and water uh, in microgravity uh, because you know if you shake up an oil oil and water like salad dressing and you put it on your desk or your bench or your table at, at dinner um, it'll eventually just due to gravity the different densities of fluid will separate and so I was thinking well in microgravity there's really no way for those th- two things to separate you know there, there's no gravity vector in order for these things to separate how would you separate things like that in space so I wrote a proposal. I'd never written a proposal before. Um, and I submitted it and we got selected and I said, oh, okay, now i got to put together an actual team. <laughs> and I actually have to build this thing. So we put together a really good team and, of four people and, and um, um, we flew out to it was it was the process was very very similar actually to uh, putting something up on the space uh, shuttle. They actually had the same 12 inches of paperwork for everything you had to do. Um, and when I say 12 inches of paperwork, it, it probably a good 10 inches of that is, is all safety, and for good reason, obviously. Uh, I'm not making fun of the 12 inches of paperwork. I completely understand its reasoning. Anyways, um, so we flew out there, and we flew on the KC-135, and uh, it was another great team-building experiment and, and a confidence builder for all, all four uh, people involved. And um, three of us, including me, actually went on to, do, to pursue careers in science. Um, 
And to top that off, I actually, two years later, submitted again, and we got selected again, and I had a whole other group of three of us, three more, there was three different people. Um, then we got to fly in the KC-135 again, and, and um, it was it was an amazing experience. And once, once again, those other three people that I worked with, we worked with on that team, uh, went on to do uh, a career in science, um, all because of this, this process. And it was a great um it's a great time to get involved in projects as, as an undergrad or even a high school student to, to make sure you can do this stuff. It's, it's, it's just all about, you have to, you know, the, uh, the ability the, uh, is there, the process is, it can be daunting at times. It's, it can be a lot of paperwork and a lot of, like you said, acronyms and technology you'd never heard of, but um, it, it's easier now than ever to get on something on the space station. And um, they're, they're very interested in, in flying research now um, and I, I highly suggest to anybody who's um, either a, an undergrad or a high school student or even a scientist out there uh, right now working in a, in a lab um, I highly recommend them to, to get involved it's not just for NASA people it's it's for it's it's it is our space station um, and it's it's for you to use and I highly recommend people get involved I'm curious talking about careers tell us what you're doing now what uh you know, I, I read your blog, but fill me in on, on what it means to to work in the world that you do. Well, I, I really right now, I don't, I don't work for NASA. I just I work for the Methodist Hospital Research Institute, and I'm a biochemist there, and I work on um, I work on the structure and function of, of proteins, and I, um, I do something called protein crystallography. And I got the opportunity, uh, I, um, once again, luckily enough through my old professor to fly on um, some protein crystal growth experiments on STS-134 and 135. And it had been a long time since we flew anything because I, right after um, the two K, uh, STS-91 and then the two KC-135 flights, um, I went on to graduate school and was uh, grueling away in graduate school for quite a while and um, really hadn't done anything in space. And I come come to find that the you know, with 134 and 135, that the process has had changed uh, quite a bit, and this time it was actually easier <laughs> um, because of these implementation partners. I flew with a, a company called Nanorax, uh, and they did most of the paperwork and um, all the uh, most of the work. I really had to just I just had to focus on my science. Um, so currently, like I said, I don't really I don't work for NASA. I'm an ancillary person, I guess you could say. I, I uh, you know, I get asked often if I'm eventually going to work for NASA, and you never know. I'm, I, I would be interested. I'd love to get more involved with um, some of the research that's going up, uh, um, going on on the space station, especially with uh, crew health. Um, but um, if you want to know more details about protein crystallography, I can go into more detail. <laughs> I don't want to put people to sleep. <laughs> Carl, something you just said reminded me of talking to one of the astronauts from STS-133, Michael Barrett. And, uh, and he made the statement in, in talking about similar topics as you are with science and, and how detailed they can get. He says, well, I find that if I'm telling people this at, at a bar, they'll usually buy me a drink to get me to be quiet. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, some people totally get into it, and you can, you know, I can go into great detail and some people they just uh, i'll have to do say biochemist and they're asleep as soon as i'm done saying that you know <laughs> so okay okay <laughs> i i always always want to learn more and i'm gonna i'm gonna throw a question in i was gonna let gene uh inter interrupt us because uh, we've been carrying on for a while but i do have a question you mentioned crew health and research in that area what uh what kind of things have you have you picked up in that in that topic in your in your interest there one of the one of the biggest problems, and I'm sure most people have heard about it, is is for long duration space flight is is bone loss. Uh, it's a significant problem um, where they're lo losing, I think, up to one and one point five percent of their uh, bone mass uh, per month. Per month, <laughs> that's a lot of bone um, disappearing um, by the time they come back from space and most of the bone loss is on the the load bo the load bearing bones such as the femur and in the hips um, exactly where you need it right when you come back from space um, it, it's a large problem and some of the 
research that's been going on up there currently is, is has to do with uh, changes in diet and it has to do with changes in exercise. Um, and exercise has been pretty constant even even in the days of Skylab. Uh, they knew that, uh, that keeping up something on the load-bearing bone, such as the femur and hips, um, keeping some sort of force on them daily uh, in, in a form of an exercise was absolutely required in order to be able to walk uh, when you got back. And, um, and a lot of these astronauts, when they come back, they, they don't fully ever regain all their bone stuff, uh, bone uh, mass. It's, 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 it's a big problem. So the other thing that's been within, I think within the last three or four years that they've focus significantly on is is the balance of, of uh, protein and um, certain um, salts uh, such as uh, potassium uh, things that are typically uh, in your bones like magnesium and potassium um, and if they keep those up to high enough levels they seem to um, they seem to cut down on the diminishing uh, bone uh, amount of bone um, and that, that's that's probably one of the coolest things that's been going on right now and they've made some significant progress and and, and uh there's still it's still not uh I don't, I don't think we're still there for anything longer than six months uh, as far as as um, maintaining bone loss but uh, they've definitely made some some incredible progress uh for that and that that directly relates to, to osteoporosis and and elderly uh people on on earth and all of that research is is uh, directly of coming back to us all back on literally coming back down to us on earth um for people that have uh, either problems with osteoporosis or, or just uh, bone loss due to becoming elderly um and it, it it's 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 really cool that that, pro that problem that occurs 260 miles above us <laughs> can directly uh reach all of us in that way i think it's, it's really it's amazing to me um the other pro the other problem that I've seen somewhat it's not as important but it's been cosmic ray or, or just uh, radiation uh, uh, subjective to the cosmic ray is uh, high doses of radiation in space um, that's something that they've been working uh, NASA's been working on as well uh, trying to minimize that exposure like during the uh, times of solar flares they all there's certain places in the in the space station that the uh, the crew will actually uh, convene for certain periods of time until the the radiation levels have have decreased, um, but they they haven't made too much progress in that. But it's not as I don't I don't want to make it uh, sound like it's not important, but it's not as critical as as the bone loss problem. Uh, like I said, one and a half percent per month is 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 pretty large uh, amount of bone loss. Um, those have been the two biggest things for crew health. Um, they've and certain, I don't want to say dabbling, it hasn't been done too extensively, but actually in psychology, in, in psychological health of astronauts, um, the effects of being secluded uh, in, a, in an outpost, as, as Dom Pettit calls it, um, for large periods of time um, can be, you know, being away from your family and all uh, can be uh, incredibly uh, degrading on your psychology. Um, even though you look out of your you look at the cupola or whatever every day and you can see the planet earth, you know, and you can talk to your friends and you can talk to your family. It's still, it can, it can have some serious side effects of being, um, being away that, uh, that long. And just imagine when we eventually go to the moon or Mars and you, you know, you, you can still see the earth. It's going to be very much smaller, a lot smaller. Um, uh, but it, it's, it's, that's another problem that they've been working on as far as just trying to schedule, um, more days off, or or letting the astronauts have a little bit more fun time, <laughs> um, to more free to do what they want. Um, I think some some examples of that is just how how like Don Pettit blew off steam while he was up there. He he did some really great videos of some things that he had that were that were fun. Uh, <laughs> and all the astronauts have different ways of dealing with those problems. Uh, some of them uh, listen to music. Some of them play music. Some of them write. Uh, uh, it's uh, but those are the I think the largest aspects of, 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 of research they've been working on as far as they're all all the research is geared towards long duration eventually long duration spaceflight. Uh that's that's NASA's main focus on crew health. Um is bone loss. I, I, I didn't even mention there's there's immune problems as well that go, that uh, happen at being in space. Um that they're also working on. 
uh, your immune system goes haywire for some reason. Uh, just it's it's amazing that just removing the one G gravity vector can uh, screw up so many things in your body. <laughs> we've evolved so long for so long to be uh, dependent on that gravity vector, and we don't even realize how much we've been become dependent on it. Yeah, the uh, astronauts are definitely uh, guinea pigs when they're up there. That's for sure. <laughs> And if you were interested in any of that stuff, there's um, uh, if, you, if you just Google, uh, it's a big big word called bisphosphonates, uh, B-I-S-P-H-O-S-P-H-O-N-A-T-S. Um, you can Google that and microgravity, and you could find more on about bone louse and some of the experiments they've been doing. Um, yeah. There's early detection of osteoporosis, which is EDOS. I think that's called E-D-O-S. Um, is there, what, what's the other one? The other one's called Pro-K, I think, is the diet that they were working on. And I even mentioned the, the fact that uh, the bone loss also a lot of times is, um, lead, can, can lead to uh, kidney stones as all the minerals from your bones have to go somewhere. <laughs> and they tend right. to build up in your, in your uh, kidneys. Hey, Carl, a uh, really quick question here. We're, we're talking about you know, long duration space flight and how it's going to affect uh, you know our crews going forward. If we go back to you know say say go over to Mars or something, um, you touched on uh, one uh, one point that is translatable to back here on Earth, which is osteoporosis. What other experiments are they doing right now that could theoretically have some sort of I don't know repercussion for you know, everyday life down here, because th there's always something that, that touches your life uh, that has e either been developed by NASA or has, has come from uh, the space program. What other, other implications do a lot of these long-duration space flights have for possible cures back here on Earth for, you know, you know various ailments? Uh, one of the tools th that pops into my mind is that if they had to... Um, they had to somehow measure the shape of the eyeball. If That's another problem I didn't even mention. Is they've been having problems with uh, your eyes and microgravity can, can literally change shape. And when they change shape, you can't focus on things. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they, were, they had to develop a way to actually measure, uh, I believe, the, the shape of the eye. And that was a... a they had to make it small enough and light enough to be flown on station. And I, I believe they're now starting to... Um, use that technology um, in, in places now down on Earth for a portable, um, for looking for eye diseases and stuff like that, uh, that that's now, you know, directly being used in, on, on, um, on Earth. Uh, what else? There's a lot of things. <laughs> um, uh, ultrasound. I know there's some ultrasound uh, stuff that they've been doing as well. It's, it's a lot of the things that they have to make up there is, or they have to do up there. Um, it has to be small and lightweight and, um, it's solving the problem of making some of these things that for forever had been on earth had been large and bulky and didn't have a requirement to be small and lightweight. Um, are now being small, you know, they're NASA's having developed these things that are uh, portable and, um, they're being allowed to be, you know, people in, uh, remote parts of the world can now use these things because they're small and lightweight and you don't have to uh, um, haul around the, a large um, the ultrasound machine or, or uh, uh, the device they're using to look at um, people's eyes. Uh, okay, to, to get back a little bit to, you know, actually setting up an experiment. One, we, we talked about, you know, the infamous, you know, 12 inches of paperwork and you were talking a little bit about, you know, safety. Is that basically to ensure the safety of the ISS and, and the vehicle that, that, that is being carried up, that the, that the experiment is car being carried up on? Yeah, they're, uh, I would, their primary, primary, if you're flying with, some, with a crew, their primary concern is, is crew. <laughs> right. Um, so it's going to be crew and, and vehicle. It's going to be for both. And um, you're going to have to limit there. If you have something that's toxic, it has to be uh, triply sealed um, to minimize any risk of, of whatever you have breaking open and uh, either being breathed in or uh, getting onto the skins of the, uh, the astronauts. Um, yeah, the majority of it is exactly that. Like you said, it's, it's for the safety of the vehicle and, and the crew. Um, and they have to 
stringently test what, if you're flying something and if you're going to fly a device, uh, that has to be uh, tested as well to uh, undergo just the, the strenuous journey uh, on ascent and descent. Um, if it can take the, the, the G's going up and G's coming back down without breaking. Um, uh, and uh, just being on station itself is, is if it doesn't break, something doesn't, uh, you know, some numb, uh, so something bad happens and, and can affect the uh, station itself or, or the crew. Um, it's, necess- it's a necessary evil. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of figured that that was that was the re- that was the whole reason. I just wanted to make sure. Uh, the, the other thing too is is say I'm I'm you know a public school district or something like that or or uh, you know a, a high school that really really wants to get involved and really wants to do this, but the funding just isn't there. Uh, are there avenues to look at as far as you know getting an experiment to fly? Because I remember the getaway specials. I think it was what ten thousand. I think they were like ten thousand dollars. To, yeah, to yeah. If, right. if I recall. Right. Um, that was the, for the five foot can. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And if you know, you could basically put anything in that 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 can and and bring it back for ten grand. Yeah. Um, if again, if I was a school, if I was you know, and and of course you know school budgets. Uh, does CASIS or does are there other organizations out there that might help you out with funding? You know, I I I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, I'd have to get back on back to you on that. I'm I'm sure there are uh, either through CASIS or, or some of the other projects that are out there. God, yeah, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No problem. I, again, that, that's that's something I guess maybe I'll I'll follow up on after after we run the show and and see what I could I could sure. dig up and maybe we maybe we can both find the answer. Yeah, I'm sure. Kate, I'm sure cases has has something, um, either through uh, proposals or, or or something. I'm I'm quite sure they're they're involved in in both sides from business and education as far as uh, research. They really they really want to fly your stuff. They really they're very interested in in flying your projects. Uh and they will work with you um you know, they will work with you as hard as they can to get your stuff on on station. So that's basically that their entire, you know, reason for being to go ahead and go through the all the, to try to, you know, cut through all the red tape and and get your experiment up there as as quickly as possible. Exactly. They're not going to cut through the red tape. They'll do it for you. Oh, <laughs> so cool. You, so you okay. don't have to. They'll do the majority of it. There's still going to be some stuff that you have to do, just you know, because that's the nature of the beast. Um, but going through cases and using some of their implementation partners that they have, they have a really nice list uh, on their website of I think about 20 implementation partners um, wow. that 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 will have the uh, they'll have they'll do the work for you. And if more than likely, if you can come up with something, they'll build they'll build the device for you, uh, or they already have it built. Um, it's very very beneficial to you to look through the the list of of people that they have selected, um, and one of the groups that I've used is Nanorax, and Nanorax was awesome. And it, like I said, it was my first experience of ha- actually having people do all the stuff that I had to do before for me, and it was so nice to just be able to focus on the science. <laughs> um, I didn't have to worry about uh, all the paperwork. Um, the thing that blew me away, and I'll, I'll never forget this story because it was just so awesome, uh, that Nanorax had done is during the STS-135 launch, they got one of those little rental RVs, and they slept in the parking lot of the Space, the space Life Sciences building <laughs> instead of traveling, if you've ever been to Kennedy Space Center, just to get in and out of Kennedy Space Center is at least an hour to get anywhere, right? And so in order to, to be there, for the handoff of the experiments and to be there for the customers that were there that were flying through Nanorex, these guys slept in the Ju- in, in the July heat in an in an RV in the in the parking lot. <laughs> and, I probably uh, ran into them, Mark. We probably ran into them and didn't know it. <laughs> That's some dedicated people. Yeah, yeah, really. So that was my experience of dealing with uh, an implementation partner. I mean, these guys were just. Um, they know their stuff. They, for many of these implementation partner companies, they all have, they all have extensive uh, experience with with flying stuff on, um, either on shuttle or station. So um, they'll they'll have an answer for you if you if you need something. And like I said, there was just, Casis is very dedicated to getting your research on station, and I, I'm impressed by that. 
Um, like I said, with my first my first go through, even even with the gas can, my first go at launching anything in space was a great learning experience, but it was a lot of work, um, and it was a pretty like like we said earlier, it's pretty daunting with the amount of paperwork and the amount of acronyms and uh, learning the uh, interlinked circles of, of NASA bureaucracy. And <laughs> now, now it's, it's, it's easier than it's, it's, it's ever been. And I'm glad I've gotten to actually see how easy it is because it was very worrisome to me as an undergrad. I was like, wow, this is, if this is what it's like, no wonder people don't do a lot of research on, on, on in space. And I think that that scared had scared a lot, way a lot of people. How how long ago was your first experience and and working up a, a project that that flew? Was it in the eighties? Uh, the, the first thing I did was STS ninety one, and that was nineteen ninety eight. Okay, July of ninety eight. The launch was. Uh, so we worked about a year prior to that uh, on our project, and like I said, it was it was a it made me really truly realize that you know. It's you don't have to be a genius or a NASA genius to to fly things into space. You just have to have come up with an original idea or or an interesting idea or an interest an idea that you need uh, access to space uh, or microgravity to 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 solve. Um, uh, it's it's not as the process of doing research in space is not as quick as doing it in your laboratory. But it, that's you know for obvious reasons. It's it's you have to. You're dependent upon a launch vehicle, and you're dependent on somebody else in space doing your research. And uh, it's a longer process, but it's it's faster than it used to be. Uh, great example of that is, like I said, I flew on 134 and 135 uh, within. I flew twice within six months, and that's absolutely unheard of. <laughs> and that's because I used uh, an implementation partner. I used uh, Nanorex. Um And now I, I say that you can do science on station now at the speed. Uh, almost at the speed of science, and uh, not at the speed of uh, bureaucracy or paperwork. And I think that's I think that message has to get out to people because it's just not known. I think a lot of people think still think it's a hassle or it's 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 an unobtainable thing. Well, I'm impressed because one of the things that I when I read your blog, I thought, you know, this really sounds possible for a young person. Of course, last I think it was our last show we talked about the YouTube yeah. Space Lab. And, That's exactly and right. And a student from Egypt and two students from the U.S. that got their projects flown and worked on by the astronauts and, and results, uh, you know, back to them. And uh, so That is just awesome. <laughs> and, they, and they did that. Of course, this was a special competition, but they did that with a couple-minute video that they submitted. Right. Wow. And that process isn't any much different than, than flying something... Uh, either through cases, it's not. It's it is somewhat of a contest. You have to submit a proposal, and they have to. They only have a certain amount of space and time, and they have to select the best to, to go up there. You know, they have to. You know, you may not fly this time, but you may fly another time. But it's it's it's. You know, it's it's a similar process that the kids will have to go through if they continue on uh, doing science on uh, in space. Okay, I gotta ask this, and I'm interrupting Gene again, but I gotta ask. As we record, uh, this is Wednesday, September 26th, and in a week and a half, on October 7th, SpaceX is going to be launching, if they follow through on that schedule, they're going to be launching their first contracted supply mission to the station. Yep. So with that actually starting imminent, I mean, you know, they've, I'm sure the the Dragon capsule is loaded, and this has been planned for for months to a year. And how long? How do you feel about with this uh, quicker process of getting projects in the pipeline? How do you feel with Dragon being part of the uh, mix? It, it's a great benefit for all of us. It's uh, it's going to provide greater access to to the space station, and I, I I'm all for it. And I think uh, I'm I'm very happy to see them finally. Uh, succeed <laughs> and I wish them I wish them luck <laughs> does it does it change some of the opportunities that you that you see in your in your research and studies where you've got the capability of bringing something back down to earth absolutely uh, absolutely it's uh, that first flight flight that came back had a had a ton of stuff on it <laughs> that had unfortunately been setting up in, in uh, the the freezers up on station for quite a while. They had quite a backlog of, of, of samples from people's research that um, hadn't been able to come back. Um, you know, so it, 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 it's, a, it's a great benefit for all of us. I actually am having the opportunity to fly something on SpaceX 2 um, 
uh, which is scheduled for I think January, February. Uh, so I'm going to get to actually uh, I'm going to get to know the process <laughs> firsthand. You'll have to tell us about it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I was I was going to say, Carly, we'll have to have you back and and talk about that once your uh, your baby flies. I'll be out there for uh, SpaceX One, and uh, I'm going to get to see some of the process when I'm out there. But it'll be even cooler to see the entire process of something I'm flying, <laughs> actually hands-on, to see how SpaceX deals with it. You know, Shuttle was always really good as far as getting stuff uh, loaded. They had a 24-hour before launch uh, window that you would literally hand over your experiment. I, personally, my record for getting stuff off of Shuttle was three and a half hours after landing. <laughs> so they were always really good at getting stuff on and off uh, of shuttle. Now with Soyuz, it's a little bit longer. It's it which actually it's incredibly fast. Uh, some of the NanoRax guys just got their stuff back, and uh, it came back on the the flight with uh, Joe Acaba. I mean, it was back here within not even 24 hours after the Soyuz landed in Russia. It's it's better than it was. It's it's so much better now to be able to do science at the at a speed that's. Uh, where you can get results. So when, if I'm in a lab, I do I do my research, and literally within a day, the results that I got from those experiments will dictate what I do the next day or the day after. And um, I'm in a contest with other labs, and I need to move quickly. And if I'm doing research on space station, it, it needs to. I understand the limitations of it, but it has to move somewhat reasonably fast enough to for me to be able to get results design new experiments and move on to the next step instead of lingering for, you know, sometimes people would fly stuff and it would be a year or two before they would fly again. In science, it's all about reproducibility. And if you only fly something once or twice, you're, it's really hard to say if your results are real or not. <laughs> so the ability of more people flying to station, such as SpaceX, and getting your samples returned quickly is is a benefit to, to not just the researchers, but anybody who's uh, working on, on in, in space. I'm excited. Or if you happen to be a grade school student or a high school student in, in a, you know, a certain year and you want to go ahead and, and get your, 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 uh, your experiment to fly in that particular year, if you're a junior or a, or a senior or a sophomore or something like that, you want to make sure that that experiment's going to get to fly yeah. when, you're, uh, when you're still in that, that particular year. So if you were, you're a sophomore, you apply and you want to fly this thing while you're still a sophomore. I'm just thinking, this is just absolutely amazing. I've, I, I kind of wish I, I had these opportunities growing up uh, because, wow, I, I mean, my, I'm just thinking my, my, my nephew and my, my, my nieces, and my niece, they're going to have some grand opportunities to fly experiments and, and, and to, do, to do some really incredible things. And I'm hoping that, uh, that you know, a lot of schools hear this and a lot of schools understand that, you know, this is the, the you know the the this is wide open, and mm-hmm. I mean Absolutely. this this is a this is a grand opportunity. And I hope hope a lot of schools just go ahead and, and leverage this. Carl, thanks, thank you. I mean you know first, and I also want to say thank you too because I understand uh, Cassis out there has been really getting some black eyes in some areas there, and uh, I, I it's nice to to hear the good stuff about what they do and and how they're. They they work and and what they what the really ultimately their 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 goal is to try to make your life a lot easier when you're when you're trying to get an experiment through. So I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. If um if 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 you are a student or a teacher out there that's interested in, in something in space, the I highly recommend initially looking at the it's called the National Center for Earth and Space Science Education, um, NCESSE, and and Google that and find out. There's a ton of information as far as um, of how to fly stuff on in space. They have flown uh, many missions. I think they even have some stuff on SpaceX One that's going up. Um, there's definitely some people to contact if you're if you're uh, interested in that. And as far as uh, cases, yeah, I don't. Uh, you know, there's there's <laughs> there's a lot of people that had to eat crow about SpaceX being able to go to the, to uh, you know station and and to be able to do what they were going to do. And it's the same thing about cases. I just, you know, there's just a lot of people who just don't believe what they're doing. And um, I can tell you from firsthand experience that uh, they want to, they want to help you get your research on space station. And, and they're very excited and driven and dedicated to doing that. And uh, I've never, I haven't had a, a problem with them at all. And I thoroughly support everything they do. Carl, with what you're talking about, I'm sorry, every now and then I get the opportunity to throw this out and I do it, jumping up and down and excited 
but what this amounts to is your tax dollars at work. I mean, this is NASA, this is the educational community, this is things that are funded by people, and it's working, it's getting better, and it keeps getting better, and that is just flat-out exciting. Yep, I agree. They, in all honesty, a lot of the people that work there, they know that they know it's flawed, you know, and but they're working very hard to change it, and they want to change. And it's but it's a government entity, and it's it's it was speaking of NASA, and it's 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 gonna be slow. <laughs> you have to have some patience. Um, and look at what NASA did; they developed cases to be. Um, you know, they developed them specifically as a nonprofit company to be more fluid than NASA and to be a smaller group and to be able to move faster and to do things that uh, NASA as a large uh, government entity could not do. So, I mean, that's proof right there that they're trying to, to help us uh, gain access, better access to the space station. Um, and it's, it's, I can't say this enough. It's for anybody out there. If you you have an original idea or you have something interesting that you think that cases would be interested in as, as far as funding or supporting or flying, let them know. Contact them. Go to their website. There's plenty of information on their website to, for people to contact and, and try it. I, I highly recommend just anybody to try it. You know, it's it's There's nothing cooler than saying, hey, my experiment is flying overhead right now at you know, 17,500 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> one of the th- and, and again, Carl. One of the things I'm always fond of saying, even even out there, what I when I'm when I'm using Twitter is, this is your space program. Meaning, you know, it's the taxpayers. It's 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 it belongs to the people, of the country, and this is this is a really grand chance to get involved. So, yep. uh, I mean, I, I couldn't have said that that last part any better. This is the, uh, indeed this you know a, a great point, Carl. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Carl, I see on your blog, which is uh, theproteinwrangler.com, and of course you're on Twitter, you're at Protein Wrangler, I believe, is that right? That's correct. But on your uh, on your website, you've got a uh, interviews that you've posted and some interviews <laughs> that you've recorded about uh-huh. meat MSM. Can you tell us about that? Uh, the, I did a podcast for a while called Meat um, Scientist Monday. And uh, it was just an interview with uh, a scientist and just talking about I, – I, it all started with – I hate the fact that every time in movies that, or books that scientists are always uh, portrayed in specific ways. They're either you know cutesy, neurotic people or they're megalomaniacs living in a, a volcano lair. And I just wanted to introduce people to, um, to just normal scientists and you know, the way they are, and I had a, a set of – about 20 questions that I always ask the same questions over and over and the questions came from people who um, just normal people who were, didn't know a scientist and, and came up with some questions basic questions to ask them um, I unfortunately haven't been doing it in a long time because I just just from time restraints um, unfortunately but uh, yeah they're a lot of fun they were a lot of fun and just getting to talk to some of the scientists and hearing um, you know how they became scientists and, and a lot of their unusual routes that uh, they followed to become scientists. And, um, you know, one of my favorite questions that I always had is, do you have a favorite fictional scientist? <laughs> and that's always interesting to hear how uh, scientists uh, answer, answer that question. What are some of the answers they give for that one? Uh, everything from Spock to Doctor Who um, to... Uh, yeah, what was uh, I think Liz Warren's reply was a really, really cool one. It was uh, I think it was the the mom on um, Lost in Space. I think it was. Okay. <laughs> I think it was. It was no. It was um, yeah. It, it's just some unusual. It's funny because that's the whole idea that I started to do. Meet a scientist. Meet a scientist Monday was to to show the. Uh, uh, to to show that scientists are normal and not uh, the scientists that you see in movies or books, and then I ask, "What is your favorite science, <laughs> fictional scientist?" So it was always kind of an interesting question to see uh, how scientists like to see themselves in movies and books. I guess. I um, think I think we have to include a link to that so people can take a look at it. Uh, yeah, I know, kinda, I know life gets busy and it's hard to keep up with everything, but you've got some yeah. got some good content. There, yeah, I think there's like. about uh, I think there's about twenty two of them. I started. It was originally just a questionnaire that I would send to people, and of course, you'd send things to people, and you never got a reply. And so I started. Somebody had recommended actually doing a, a podcast, and I had never done podcasts before. Um, so I started getting involved in that, and I think the first one I ever did was uh, Scott Perzinski. 
uh, he was uh, actually working at uh, where I worked at the time, and uh, I got a really uh, amazing experience hanging out with him and talking with him for for a good part of an hour, um, and it. Uh, obviously, because I'm a space person, uh, but I, yeah, I definitely recommend anybody who's interested in meeting a scientist and seeing what uh, the scientists are kind of normal <laughs> people. Um, I think some of them would like to be in volcano layers, but <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a good uh, it's a good little podcast to listen to just to get an experience of what what scientists are like. And uh, I wish I could do them more. I really do. I miss doing them. So not every scientist looks like uh, <laughs> Professor Irwin Corey with the hair. Exactly, <laughs> or or Urkel, or any of the you know. It's funny. I, I people ask me if I watch The Big Bang Theory, and I don't. And I think it has a lot to do with the, when I have watched the show. I work with some of those people, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> and the fact that it, it's the characters are kind of extreme. You know, there are um, scientists aren't that bad. <laughs> Sometimes, but there are a couple characters on there. I, I work with those people, and uh, so watching the show is. is uh, Why am uh, I scared little... all of a sudden? Uh, so, yeah, it's funny. So, Carl, my friend uh, Sawyer Rosenstein, who isn't here to, he, with us tonight, usually asks this question. So, since he's not here, I'll I'll ask it. Uh, before we leave you, uh, is there anything? that you might want to go ahead and, and, and plug or anything you might want to talk about before, uh, before we part here? Sure. Um, the Space Florida is having a research competition to fly um, research on the International Space Station. Um, and, and they're having a contest. They bought, uh, I believe it's eight, eight payload boxes or eight uh, cubic units for, uh, called nanolabs. And they're allowing students to design uh, research experiments to fly in these in these cubes, um, uh, they're having a, um, a symposium. I think it's in Cocoa Beach, Cocoa, in October fifth, which is next Friday, and it's just a little workshop about the application process and uh, rules and requirements. And I'll actually be giving a talk on uh, how to design an experiment uh, to fly inside these little cube uh, uh, these little cubes. Um, so, and the website is uh, spaceflorida.gov front slash iss hyphen research hyphen competition and uh, I'd if you're a student uh, definitely look up this website and, and check it out and um, they're looking for new and creative ideas as far as what to what to put in these little boxes and it's pretty much uh, your imagination up to your imagination if you can dream it try it. Um, it now is the best time ever to, to try to get something that you've an idea you've ever had of of doing something in space, um, I think now is the one of the best times to to do that. And I think uh, I, I I strongly encourage anybody like um, Margaret said, young, old, in between, um, to try it. Just just give it a try. Hey, Mark, I don't know about you, but I've had a blast tonight. Uh, Carl, thanks so much for being with us here. Hi, you're very welcome. <laughs> thanks for having me. Thanks to our listeners for joining us. We'd love to hear from you. Go to our website, TalkingSpaceOnline.com. There's a link on the left side called Contact Us. And there you see our mail and our Twitter and our Facebook links. And we love to hear from you. Thanks again to the folks at Astronomy FM for carrying our show on their great service. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon.